0: You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Happy Resurrection Sunday. It's wonderful to be with you here today. My hope is that, as Art had said earlier, that this would be a day in which you are filled with joy, that you're filled with happiness. It shouldn't be like another day in which is like every other day. Like today, you shouldn't treat, it, treat today like it's a Monday. Okay? You know what a Monday's like, right? You dread Monday. You don't look forward to Monday at all. You wish they would just take Monday off of the week and just change the name of it to something else. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, should not be like a Monday in your mind and heart. If anything, it should create in us joy. It should create in us gratitude. And you know why I'm grateful is because I was lost once. I was far from God. And Jesus called my name and found me. And if you're sitting here today, probably you have felt the same way. You remember the days when you were lost. Remember what you were like before you knew Jesus Maybe you were wild and free and you were on a path to destruction and everyone in your family said so. But then Jesus got a hold of your life and you were changed forever and your pathway and your destiny was changed forever. I don't know about you, but that's something that should make us incredibly grateful. God, thank you that you saved me. You know what else I'm thankful for today is that this room is filled with people that wouldn't be here Under any other circumstances, were it not for the fact that we know Jesus together. I wouldn't know you. We wouldn't be friends. You wouldn't be attending this church if we didn't know Jesus. Jesus brought us together today. And that's an amazing thing. And the wonderful thing about that is that the Scriptures tell us, the psalmist says that he puts the lonely in families. And that means if you have no family, when you are adopted in Christ, when you become a Christian, you become part of the family of God. But part of the family of God is not simply for you to just be on your own, disowned, trying to make your own way in the world, when you become part of the family of God, it's not only because God is your father and Christ is your brother, but he inserts you into a fellowship of believers that helps you to know you're not alone. That whatever you're going through, there is someone else there to be there for you. There's someone else there to help you. There's someone else to listen to you, to pray for you to support you and be there for you. What we have in Christ is just so much more than religion. And I'm thankful for that today, that Christ didn't save me to be in charge of some church, in charge of some religion. He didn't save me just so I could lead a congregation of 50 or 60 people. He saved me so that I can bring forth the very words of life, His words, so that we all might be changed by them, myself included. When I think about Easter, I think about the gratitude of Easter. I think about what we've received in Christ and what we have yet to receive in Him. How great it is to know that we are receive His salvation today, but I, it does not end there. He didn't just grant us salvation and eternal life. He didn't just transform us and change us from the inside out but that he is actively working in and through our circumstances to bring about his glory and to bring about a destiny for you that is greater than anything that you could have planned yourself or even tried to bring together. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, I thank you for today. Can we just say that right now? Lord, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the new life that is available to us in Christ. Thank you for the resurrection power that can be available to us if we just believe. And I pray today, as your word goes forth, help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to respond to your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. R.A. Tori said this, Without the resurrection... The death of Christ is only a heroic death of a noble martyr. But with the resurrection, it is the atoning death of the Son of God, End quote. The world has problems with the story of Jesus. They have difficulty with his teachings. They resist his claims to being the Son of God, and they reject the idea of the exclusivity of of Christianity as being the only way to heaven. But probably the one of the things that people have the hardest time with is the resurrection. How could a man who died so viciously and brutally rise from the dead and survive that? You see, people are fine with the idea of Jesus as being a spiritual man. They may even see him as a teacher or a prophet But the idea of him rising from the dead seems ridiculous to them. Interestingly enough, this is not just something that modern man struggles with. But it was something that people in biblical times had problems believing too. When the Apostle Paul, who was a missionary to uh, the ancient world, spoke about the resurrection of Christ in Acts 17, the philosophers who heard him speak laughed at the notion of the resurrection from the dead. Even in the region that Paul planted the church, in the city of Corinth, people had trouble believing that the resurrection actually happened or that the resurrection could actually even occur. That's why Paul addresses this controversy and testifies why it is in fact true and why it is in fact believable. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have it with you, it'll be on the very large screen behind me. <laughs> if you were wondering what was happening this morning, we were having some technical difficulties. One of our projectors went out on us right before service, and we had to switch to an old one. And so I, I give a lot of credit to our sound crew who's doing a great job back there. <clears throat> in spite of last-minute changes. Uh, but if you take a look at First Corinthians 15... Uh, Paul spends the first 11 verses. We're not going to read through all of it. But the first 11 verses to talk about the testimony that he shares, the message that he shares. And he writes that Christ died for our sins. And he was buried. And he was raised again to life on the third day. And then he recounts six different resurrection appearances. He says, first, Jesus appeared to Peter then the twelve disciples, then to as many as five hundred of his followers, then to his half brother James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, then to the other apostles, those who were following Jesus during his lifetime, and he says, "Lastly, he appeared to me, the apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus when I received Christ." These are six first uh, first hand eyewitness accounts providing reliable testimony that validates that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. That's not even including the testimony of the women that were there at the empty tomb on resurrection morning or the testimony of the guards that went back to the chief priests and told them that the, the, the stone had been rolled away and that they saw angels and that the, the tomb is empty. That's not even including their testimony. So we know from eye hand, first-hand eyewitnesses that the resurrection did indeed occur but even more so Paul explains the importance of the resurrection to our faith why is the resurrection of Jesus important I want to give you four reasons for you to write down four reasons why the resurrection is important and first and foremost without the resurrection our faith is in vain in other words our faith is empty and meaningless. You might as well believe in the tooth fairy and Santa Claus. It's that same kind of belief if Jesus did not, in fact, rise from the dead. He says in verses 1 and 2, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand, and by which you are saved. If you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul makes it clear to the Corinthians how important the resurrection is because if Jesus did not rise from the dead then the faith that we have is all for nothing because all of our hope depends on the testimony of Jesus's resurrection being true and having actually happened. If it's not true we have to follow this to its logical conclusion. If it's not true, then everything Jesus said, all of his promises concerning the kingdom of heaven, all that he had to say about him being the way, the truth, and the life, all the things that he said about the promise of eternal life, if they believe in him, are empty and meaningless, and they mean nothing if he did not rise from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he was not who he said he was, and our faith is based on a lie. I believe it was either Josh McDowell or C.S. Lewis said that if Jesus' testimony about himself is not true, he is either a liar or a lunatic because no one would claim to be God and then die a natural death and not have victory over death. He would have to either be crazy or the greatest deceiver that ever lived. And we know that he's not because he did what exactly what he said he would do. He didn't just make a promise and then break a promise. He didn't just declare something and not follow through. He said, in three days, I will rise again. And he actually did that. And people bore witness and testimony to it. Paul addresses this question. Did, did the resurrection actually happen? Is there such a thing as the resurrection of the dead? And he follows it to its logical conclusion. Our faith is in vain if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Paul uses the word if in this passage several times. And he uses it to refute their notions with counterpoints to the arguments. So number one, we must first realize that if the resurrection, if it didn't happen, our faith is in vain. Secondly, without the resurrection, Paul's preaching is in vain and he's misrepresenting God. If, if, if the resurrection did not happen, then Paul's preaching is in vain and he is actually misrepresenting God. Look at verses 12 through 15. He says, Now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. And yes... We are found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom if he did not raise up, the fact is that the dead do not rise. Paul once again attacks their question with the rigor of a defense lawyer. He looks at the objection and the question and he goes after it with his counterpoint argument, citing the implications of what their faith would look like if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And he picks apart their objections by presenting how by removing one part of the story of Jesus, everything that they know and believe in falls apart. I want you to know today, church, everything, everything hangs on the resurrection of Jesus. It is the linchpin that holds the whole structure together. It's the cornerstone that holds up the whole building. It's the engine and transmission of the vehicle. Without it, nothing moves forward. It's kind of like that. You can have a beautiful classic car sitting in your driveway, but if it has no engine and if it has no transmission, it's just for show and it doesn't go anywhere or do anything. If we're not careful, our faith without the resurrection, if we don't believe the full gospel message to its completion, our faith, our religion, our self-righteousness is purely just for show. It's something that makes us look moral. It's something that makes us look good. But it accomplishes nothing in our lives. It's so important that the resurrection is part of our faith. Paul reasons that if Jesus did not rise from the dead then his preaching is useless and so is the faith that they have believing in it. Because they would have believed a lie, a myth, a cleverly made up story, one that has no real power to save their souls. And worse still, Paul says, if there is no resurrection of Jesus then what they were actually teaching is false teaching and they are misrepresenting who God is. Paul goes even further explaining how the removal of the resurrection from the dead undermines any hope that they might have for heaven. Which brings me to my third point. If there is no resurrection, then there is no hope for eternal life. If there is no resurrection, there is no hopefully for eternal life. If Jesus died and was buried, then we could go to a memorial place and and pay respects to him. We could burn incense or leave wreaths at his tomb as though it was a memorial unto his life. But if we go there today, we know that the tomb is empty. Both tombs, the tomb that they, there's two different locations where people and historians think the tomb might be. There's a garden tomb, and there's a church that has a tomb built into it. And the church that was built around where the tomb was supposedly was. And so we could go to either of them, and they're both empty. It's not a memorial. It's not something that we pay our respects to. It's something that's a testimony that the man that we believed in, that we consider to be the son of God, has in fact risen from the dead. Verse 16 through 19, if the dead Do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, which is a phrase that means those who have died, in Christ have perished. And if in this life we only have hope in Christ, then we of all men are the most pitiable. Paul, once again, uses the word if. And that's a very big if. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, if he did not leave the grave empty, then he was not who he claimed to be. If he did not rise, then he was not the eternal Son of God. Denying the resurrection meant that Jesus could not be the perfect sacrifice for our sins because he would still be in the grave. And most importantly, without him and his redemptive work on the cross, we are still dead in our sins and will never receive eternal life without jesus's resurrection from the dead all of their hopes and all of our hopes for salvation died with him on the cross paul takes him to the conclusion even further that if jesus did not rise from the dead then those who were christians that died trusting jesus for eternal life died actually in their sins and are gone forever one of the great hopes of the christian are based on the words of Jesus that he says, Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have eternal life. All Christians go into their salvation with the understanding that if I die, I've been saved, I've been forgiven of my sins, and I will one day be in heaven. And he's saying the terrible conclusion to what you are saying, the terrible conclusion to if there is no resurrection, then every Christian that's died before you, has died in their sins, and you will never see them again. What a terrible world that would be. What a terrible eternity that is. Paul states that the resurrection, if if we we don't have the resurrection and all we have in this life, then we should be truly pitied for being so foolish to believe a lie. And all this would be hopeless if not for one very important word in this passage. Remember, we've used the word if. Paul's used the word if several times saying, uh, assuming your argument is correct, if there is no resurrection, if Christ did not rise from the dead. One very important word is the word but. Verses 20 through 28. But now Christ is risen from the dead. But now Christ is risen from the dead. We don't gather on Easter Sunday morning to celebrate His death. We celebrate His resurrection. Otherwise it would just be a time of mourning. Otherwise it would just be a time of memorial. But it's more than that. We're saying unlike every other religious teacher that has lived and then died, None of them have risen from the dead. None of them have overcome the one thing that every person on this planet fears, and that's death. I've met people that even have strong faith in God who are afraid to death of dying. But for the Christian, we should have as much grace and as much power in death and as much confidence as we have in death as we do in life. Why? Because our death is not... the the clinging on to the last vestiges of this life. Understand that when we pass from this life we are passing into the next. We are passing into a life that will not end. And as scary and as frightening and as closing in as death can be. You will never experience that again. Let me say that one more time in case you missed the point on that as scary and as frightening and as closing in as death can be, you will only ever experience that once. Never again will you have to worry about dying. Never again will you have to worry about getting old. Never again will you have to check your heart or your blood pressure or check your diabetes again. Never again will you have to worry about those things because you died once. And the resurrection is assured. And the reason why you take confidence in your death of dying once is because Christ died once for all. And He's risen and He lives again. But Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die... Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. But each one to his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, and he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. And he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. And he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who puts all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Now, after all the ifs that Paul asserts, the certainty and validity and necessity of the resurrection... He told them about the eyewitnesses to the resurrection. He told them that Jesus is in fact alive and well and seated at the right right hand of the Father in heaven. Now he tells them that Christ accomplished this when he rose from the dead. He says Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he's the first to awaken from death and overcome it. He undid what Adam did, the first man. The first man, Adam. When God created him, sinned in the garden, and sin and death and the curse of sin came into the world. And he said, when Christ the second Adam came, he undid everything that Adam did in sin. Remember, everything that we experience today, sickness, death, difficulty, travail, the world that we live in today is the result of Adam's sin. But Christ came and took the sins of the world upon them. And when He took the sins of the world upon them, He died as the perfect sacrifice, covering all of them. When we sang about the blood today, that might seem like an odd thing to sing about. But if you understand, we're not talking about the blood sacrifice of animals or goats or cows or whatever the case might be. We are talking about the blood of the Son of God who had the Spirit of God within Him, but was also equally man. And that blood was an eternal blood that once it was shed, it was shed once for all for the sins of all time. And when he died on the cross, he broke the power of sin. Destroyed it forever. So that it no longer has any effect or any hold on you. Its power is that his blood has broken the power to claim, lay claim sin to lay claim over us anymore. And then he went on to rise from the dead. And overcome the one thing that every human fears, death. Not even death could hold Jesus down. Now Jesus' resurrection was a sign that the kingdom of God has come in power. And when Jesus rose, he showed himself to be victor over death, hell, and the grave. There is no enemy that he has not beaten. No foe that he hasn't overcome. And he says that when Christ returns, every authority, every principality, everything that's in control in this world will have to bow in submission to him. And he says that the last enemy that will be destroyed will be death. In other words, when Christ returns, when we go into our heavenly kingdom, you will never die again ever. And you will live forever. So death itself which was the end of man's existence, will be no more. Fourthly and finally, are you still with me today? Four or five of you are, great, thank you. Then I'll take a water break, how about that? Fourthly and finally, the resurrection of the body is necessary because our natural bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. In verses 35 through 41, Paul addresses people's wonder about what will our resurrection bodies be like. They were thinking about that. What will they be made out of? What will they look like? People wanted to try and imagine it and figure it out. And Paul calls that kind of speculation foolishness. He then uses several illustrations to describe how our spiritual body is different from our physical body. He uses the illustration of a seed and a plant. That the seed, when it goes into the ground, it dies, but the plant grows out of the dead seed in the ground. He writes about how all creation and birds and animals and humans are made of flesh and and they have an earthly glory. We see springtime comes about and we see the, the flowers open up and bloom we see the different kinds of birds that come to our bird feeder. We see the different kind of animals that come out of their hiding. We see different people and they're attractive and they're, they're pretty to look at. And we see the glory of this world. We see the glory of man and creation. He said, but that's an earthly glory. And then he goes on to talk about the sun, the moon, and the stars. He said, those are a heavenly glory. Those are, are things that we can't touch. Those are things that... That won't pass away. They're things that are just out of our view and out of our reach, but they don't—they don't die like the things of this earth die and pass away. It's a different kind of glory. And so this is the way it is with us: that the things that were created naturally give way to the things that are eternal. The things that are temporary give way to the things that are eternal. And so it is with the resurrection. One glory gives way to another. The earthly and temporary glory gives way to death so that an eternal glory may come in. Another reason why the resurrection is important is because the natural cannot inherit the eternal. Verses 42 through 50, it says, So also is the resurrection from the dead. The body is sown in corruption and it is raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor and it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness but raised in power. It's sown a natural body. But it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam, meaning Christ, a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but rather the natural is first. And then afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord that came from heaven. As man was out of dust... So those who are made out of dust, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And we have been born the image of the man of dust, but we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now I say this, brethren, for the simple reason that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's like someone saying to you, listen, I have a million-dollar inheritance waiting for you, but the one stipulation is, You have to live forever. And you say, well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. But how many know that's impossible to do? Because an inheritance that comes to us, you can only enjoy the inheritance so long as you're alive, right? So the moment you die and pass on, you won't be able to enjoy that any longer. What Paul is writing about here is that there is a spiritual inheritance for us. An eternal inheritance in the resurrection. That you can't experience and enjoy if you are just temporary. If you are just flesh and blood. You can't enjoy an eternal kingdom with the eternal glories and the eternal riches of heaven if you're going to die in 80 years. So you need to be able to live longer than that to fully enjoy that. What a mind-blowing concept to think about that you'll be around forever. What an incredible concept to think that one day that you will live for thousands of years. As annoying as you are. You'll be around for a thousand years. Like look at your neighbor and say, i got to deal with you for the next thousand years. We don't think about it that way. We often think that eternity is just this this vast expanse. But we're talking about you living for eons and thousands of years. Just think of the people that you've lost and you've left behind that were in the faith that followed Christ. And how much you miss them. You will see them forever. And you will never have to say goodbye to them ever again. Praise the Lord. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because we are made of dust and clay. It says our body is corruptible. In other words, it gets old. It decays and dies. It does not last forever. Second, it's sinful. The scriptures tell us that our flesh is our sinful nature. And it's full of passions and desires. And those passions and desires are selfish and fight against God. And they don't want to submit to Him. So we can't bring that into God's eternal kingdom. We can't bring a rebellious flesh into an eternal kingdom and say, Okay, we want to be subject to you, God. But then, well, I want to do my own thing. It doesn't work that way. In order to inherit an eternal kingdom, we must have a body that is no longer corrupted by our sinful nature any longer. When we die, the body dies, but the spirit lives onward. What's sown in corruption is raised incorruptible. The body may die and decay, but the spirit lives forever. But the Bible also tells us that our bodies will be resurrected as well. Whether after our death, when or when Jesus comes again, we will be given new bodies. And those of us who have aches and pains. And arthritis and diabetes and high blood pressure said amen to that. Because the old will be redeemed. The apostle John who wrote 1 John 3, 2 says that when Jesus appears, he said we shall be like him. The same resurrection body that Jesus had when he appeared to the disciples after the resurrection will be the same body that you have. Our bodies will change like we are changing from one garment to another. If you've ever come home from a hard day of work and you've taken off that, those dirty clothes, you've thrown them in the hamper, you've taken a shower, and you put on a fresh set of new clothes, you feel clean. You feel fresh. You feel new. Imagine that but only having to do with your body. Listen, so often as we've gotten older, it feels like your body, you're just wearing a wet set of clothes, doesn't it? Like you get up in the morning and you're hurting from having slept in the bed earlier that night, right? Imagine waking up and understanding that we're taking off this old life. Taking off this old garment. And we're putting on a new, fresh and clean garment. Not because it's new to us, but because we are made clean by the Spirit of God, by our salvation. We have been made clean in our heart. We have also received a body that is brand new, that will never grow old, that will never tire, and never grow weary. We will be like Christ. It says that when Christ was resurrected from the dead, he did all kinds of things. He sat down, he spoke, he interacted, he ate with his disciples. It says that he even passed through doors. Not that I'm looking forward to passing through doors or being weird like that. But there's an element to where Jesus is, where he's one place and then he's gone and he's in another place. It says we will be like him when he comes. In Christ, we receive a new body in addition to our salvation. We are exchanging one life for another, one body for another, and so that we might endure and live forever. In Christ, the resurrection not only saves us but to promise that not just our spirits will be redeemed, but our bodies will be too, and with that we can be with the Lord forever. With that we can be in His kingdom forever. With that we can truly enjoy what He meant. He says that you will experience and have eternal life. I don't know about you, but that's good news today. That's something to rejoice in. There is the resurrection. And Christ is risen from the dead. And it's not just something that's present for him. And we say, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. But we can look forward to the day that we will rise too. Whether we go into the grave when our life is over and our spirit is raised immortal. Or whether we see Jesus return in the clouds and he calls us home to be with him. And we are changed in an instant. We shall be with him forever. The resurrection is powerful. We need resurrection power. We need resurrection power in our lives. The resurrection is a picture of our salvation. Romans 6 says that baptism is a picture of the death of our old life and the resurrection to a new life in Christ. Just as Christ died and was buried and rose again, so too we in baptism, a symbol of our salvation, died to sin It became alive in Christ. Yes, the resurrection did really happen. But is the resurrection a reality to you and also in you? Most Christians don't walk in the power of the resurrection. You see, when Jesus raised from the dead, he didn't just simply purchase our salvation, but he said that resurrection power is available to us. We receive the Holy Spirit upon salvation, guaranteeing not only our salvation, but it also works within us and changes us. It renews our heart. It renews our mind. It changes the way that we think. It changes the way that we live. It transforms our actions. His Spirit leads us and directs us in the way to go. And yes, even renewing our physical bodies by His resurrection power. We need to live in the power of the resurrection. It isn't enough to simply know that Jesus rose from the dead. It isn't simply enough to just simply say, well, I'm saved and one day I'm going to heaven. The the life of the active believer is made powerful in the fact that if the resurrection is made visible and uh, active in their life, then it is a life-changing force in the believer. It will change not only you, but everyone around you. But many don't walk in resurrection power. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 10, and 11. He says, I've counted everything as loss to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Him. And he says, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. This Resurrection Sunday, I want you to just close your eyes with me on this Easter Sunday morning. No matter what you're thinking about right now, no matter where your mind is, I want to just challenge you to focus right now in this moment on the Lord. Focus on what He did for you. Focus on what He has given you today. He has not just given us salvation, but He has given us salvation so much more, and that there is a life to be lived that will start right here and now. But it has to start with you knowing him. Can I challenge you today that in this moment, on this Easter Sunday of 2023, that you in your heart would say, I want to know Jesus. And not just know about him, but that I would know him and trust him with my salvation and trust him with the rest of my life. That can begin today, but only you can make that decision. I also believe that today there are those that would re- endeavor to receive prayer today and say, you know, if Pastor Dan, like I just want to see Christ's resurrection power at work within me, that I might be someone that, that walks in the newness of life, that is excited about Jesus, that loves people unconditionally, that shows the grace of God at work wherever they are, and knows that God answers prayer and works within them, I want you to know today that there are people here that will pray with you and believe God for that which seems impossible in your situation. Why do we know that it's possible? Because if Christ overcame death, then anything is possible today. And nothing is too hard for God. Will you pray with me? And then as I'm done praying, these altars will be open. We would love to stand with you and pray. If your heart says, I want to know him. Or if your heart says, I want to experience that resurrection power in prayer, we are here for you. But let's pray as we close this Resurrection Sunday together, knowing that his power is made available to us in our weakness. So God, we thank you. Thank you Lord, for raising Jesus from the dead. Thank you, Lord God, that we know that his testimony is trustworthy and true. We know that he is the Son of God, that he wasn't lying or making it up because what he said he would do, he did. And it was seen not just by him, but by so many others that testified, we have seen Jesus. He is alive forevermore. And that is good news for us today because that which he promised is now true, that he who believes on the Son shall have life. The one that puts his trust in him will never perish but have eternal life. We thank you for that life today. Lord, help us to walk in your resurrection power. May we walk in newness of life. And Lord, may our Christian life not be boring, stale, or religious, but may it be living, vibrant, and active, bringing life to all those that we encounter. We ask this today in Jesus' name. Thank you you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.